HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni, and I'm the host of Beer Sessions Radio. It's Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. And we've got some great guests. We're going to be talking about Deschutes Brewery out of Bend, Oregon. My first time talking with them. Um, let's have our guests introduce themselves. Start with Veronica. Yeah, thanks so much, Jimmy. My name is Veronica Vega. I'm Director of Product Development here at Deschutes Brewery. We're based in beautiful Bend, Oregon, um, so right in the center of the state. And I'm super excited to be talking with you and Robin today. That's so great. And Robin? Yeah, my name's Robin Johnson. I'm the head brewer for the Deschutes Brew Pub uh, in downtown Bend, Oregon. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited to be here too. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Wow, th- this is a fun show. So um, it's so cool that I'm an East Coast guy and I'm able to talk to Veronica and Robin at Deschutes Brewery out in Bend, Oregon. Veronica, tell me a little more about what it's like working in Bend, Oregon, and some of the it's like the backstory on Deschutes, family oriented brewery. You know, you guys have a very cool culture. Yeah, I mean, it's it's super awesome to be able to live and work in Bend, Oregon. Um, Deschutes Brewery started in 1988 uh, by Gary Fish, and it was the first craft brewery in Bend. Um, and it started just as a little small pub, and Robin works at that pub uh, to this day. So he's the brewer down there um, and gets to greet a bunch of um, locals and tourists that come to enjoy everything Bend has to offer. Um, it's a super inspiring place to work because, um, there's just such an outdoor, like it's such an outdoor Mecca. There's mountain biking and hiking, backpacking, there's the river and Alpine lakes. So for water sports, there's just a ton of activities. We have Mount bachelor here, you know, just 35, 40 minutes away. And so all that activity makes people pretty thirsty. So, um, the the pub served at that first as that first like gathering place um, for folks uh, after enjoying um, some fun outdoors. So, um, you know, another point of difference is that we started uh, with Blackfeet Porter. So, back in the day, it was really just a sea of loggers here, 
And Gary wanted to bring something unique to the table um, and really show what craft beer could provide from a flavor standpoint. So Black Butte Porter, uh, still like our flagship and the number one selling porter across the U.S., which is something we're really proud of. And it inspires our innovation to this day to like, you know, um, really bring something unique to the table when you're uh, producing yeah. a new beer. When you when you guys sent me a, a, a sample of beer earlier this summer, it was the Black Butte Porter that really stood out because there, I have so many friends in, in New York and English friends who are always asking for a good porter. And uh, there's really not 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 enough on the market. So um, why did you stick with it? Why, why and and you guys have you still have your stable of classics, but have you evolved them over the years, or are they the same recipes from the beginning? Well, from a recipe standpoint, I mean that's the fun piece about beer is that it's an agricultural product, so we're reacting to you know different years and crops of malt and hops. So when we talk about recipes staying the exact same. Um, certainly they haven't because we're, re we're trying to maintain the same flavor over time, but we're making some recipe tweaks. And uh, we're also learning. I mean, Robin, you do this every day at the pub, right? Like you're, you're never going to make the same exact recipe. That's, that's boring. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really fun to go back and try to recreate some of those old recipes too. We have our recipe logs going all the way back to 1988 and you have all these great regulars who come in, you know, day after day, and they have favorites that they want us to revisit. And you're trying to recreate those flavors every time. But, you know, yeah, there's there's differences agriculturally. Their hops are going to be slightly different every year. Your malt's going to be slightly different every year. So it's it's never going to be exactly the same. But, you know, you're going to try to hit that flavor profile as best you can. Yeah. So like, what, what about a style? So like you have a West Coast IPA. And I, I, is that the fresh squeezed IPA? Yeah, well. Fresh squeeze IPA, I'd call it just an American IPA. Um, it the West Coast IPAs have a little bit more of a um, lighter malt profile. So fresh squeezed is a little bit more balanced. It has um, some really nice malt character. Uh, but fresh squeezed was really one of the beers that brought Citra uh, to the forefront of the brewing industry, and um, we're. Uh, one of the first breweries to like help sponsor that hop as an experimental variety. Um, so it's definitely had its place for West Coast IPAs. They've evolved to be from being very piney, grassy, citrusy to now being um, bringing in some of the um, hopping practices and flavors from hazies, but making keeping them bright. So uh, leaving a really, really light malt bill. Um, of the West Coast of the past, but now bringing in um, some more tropical and and all those notes to kind of make a more complex West Coast hazy. So our West Coast right uh, IPA right now on the market is Squeezy Rider. So we're bringing in more uh, beers into uh, the fresh family. So that is our um, IPA portfolio that Fresh Squeeze started. So Fresh Squeeze is an inspiration point, and we're now like riffing off of that. Well, that's great. Yeah, I know that you guys are noted for your innovation and leadership in, in hops. Um, how, Robin, you're at the at the brew pub. How is it different there working on that system uh, versus working on the signature beers? It's number one. It's really fun. I just love that like small ten barrel system. It's got such a original flavor to it. You know, it's a direct fire kettle versus a steam jacketed kettle, which can definitely provide some interesting caramelization and additional flavor. 
Um, but it also enables me to do some, some experimentation, uh, reaching out to local hop growers to work with experimental hops or things that they have just small crops of that they want to see, you know, what we can do with them. Uh, it's, it's great to be able to kind of test things out, see how the, uh, the people at the pub react to them and then see whether or not we want to try to build on that and, and get something else going with it. So it's, it's a great point to kind of like test out the market and see where we want to go. It's also like creatively a challenge to go from the pub, which like there, I mean, I don't know, you'd probably agree, Robin, we're, we're trying to get to flavor, right? So we're like, however, whatever you need to do to get to this hot flavor. And when we nail it, then we hand it off to the production team and there's collaboration and creativity and saying, all right, this is the flavor target, but we might get there with a different process because our equipment is different, right? But mm-hmm. um, it's pretty fun to bring in, you know, creativity not only in uh, recipe development and, and, and flavor development, but then in process as you scale up. Absolutely agree. You know, there, there's one thing that I, that I like about talking to you guys is um, every once in a while I, I meet an, an old school you know, established craft brewery. And you real you learn that uh, both you and, and Robin and Veronica have worked together for a long time and, and, and grown up together. Um, can you talk about what, what that environment's like and, and some of the, the roles you guys have had working together? Yeah, we've worked together for 10 years, right, Robin? I mean, yeah. it's, it's been a bit, It's but it's all been um, like it's evolved. So um, I started on the production team and that's where Robin and I met. Robin, you came in as an intern, right? Yep, I interned and you were there training me the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we were you're young babies, like <laughs> and working like, you know, uh night shift and just doing the production thing together. Um and then I peeled away to um work at the pub and um our pub is just a mile away, so it's a really cool place to get the brewing team in production to rotate in and Robin was always interested in going down to the pub. So while I worked at the pub, I still kept connected with Robin and all the other brewers. Um, in pulling shifts over there. And then um, when I came back to the plant to focus on innovation and product development, then I got to pass the baton to Robin, which was really cool because now he's running the show down there. And we still work together day day in, day out um, on, you know, making great beers for the future. But um, yeah, Robin gets to make all the calls at the Ben Pub and, and, and they kind of train the next round of brewers, right? Like continue yeah. that cycle. It's been really great. I mean, honestly, uh, Veronica's mentored me in so many ways. Uh, And when she was over at the pub, it was great to work with her. I I had a lot of uh, work done on our our barrel program here uh, and in our sour program. So I'd work with her to do small batch brews over at the pub. She would brew them up and I'd help get them into the oak and kind of usher them through that process. Um, So, yeah, being able to kind of like learn from her, watch how she did things at the pub and then grow into that role has been really awesome. Wow. Oh my God, Robin, my heart is swelling right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is sweet. It's so great to see the relationship you guys have. Veronica, um, I read that you started brewing on the, the, the full scale brewery. Um, how is that different from like, I, I feel like on in New York, so many people started as home brewers and then they took them forever to learn how to scale up. Yeah, that's the classic story, right? I mean, you start as a home brewer, you you know the ins and outs, you start writing your own recipes, and then you start like thinking, huh, I, can I make this go from a hobby to a job? 
Um, and yeah, my, my story and my uh, journey was a little different. And, you know, I think part of it is I didn't, I wasn't exposed to craft beer um, very early on. I didn't have, you know, friends that home brewed. I really didn't get exposed to craft beer until I went to college. Um, and I went to Humboldt State, and it's a very small community with a lot of craft beer. Um, so through that, I just got introduced mostly to the craft beer culture and um, how it pairs so well with the lifestyle of, you know, like gathering with friends and doing things outside. And then when I moved to Bend, I was just trying to make my life work and discovered Deschutes Brewery. Um, just got my room, my my uh, foot in the door at the tasting room, um, started giving tours and then just totally fell in love with the process of what I the story I was telling to folks that, you know, visiting us and showing what the production brewers were doing showing what the operations team brought to life here and like the community that we've built, um, in Bend and beyond in the brewing industry. It's just a really, I mean, how could you not get bit by that bug? So I, I, I thought this is the way I'm going to take my science background and apply it to a career. And, so if you would have asked me when I was, you know, a freshman in college, if I was going, you know, what I was going to be, Brewer was not one of the, <laughs> one of the choices that I even had in my head. So and then like, Robin, you had a totally different story too. You came from like, um, you're, you're such a foodie. You came from the restaurant side. Yeah, actually funny enough, I got a business degree at University of Oregon and then I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I got into automotive finance, which was horrible. I quickly learned I hated a desk job. You um, would not be. Yeah, I, I don't picture you there. <laughs> you know, but that's a little bit more of the classic craft brewer path is you you start out at a career you end up hating. So you're <laughs> home brewing to, to drown your sorrows. And then you learn the craft and you come at it from that angle. So, yeah, I, I was a home brewer. I was uh, lucky enough to move to Bend because my wife got a job out here. Uh, so yeah, I quit automotive finance and got into the restaurant business. I had, I'd never worked in it before, but I thought, why not? I really like it. I really a huge food guy and, uh, yeah, continued home brewing, got into the American Brewers Guild program and got through that, uh, scored an internship through that program with the Schutz Brewery. And then my career kind of took off from there. So, I mean, this is 12 years ago, which was, you know, still a really big period of growth for the craft industry. And I was, you know, in the right place at the right time and had a lot of enthusiasm. Wow, you, you guys, that's a great backstory. And Veronica, piecing together that you went to school in Humboldt, I know a little bit about Northern Cal California. Then that gives me a sense of, is Humboldt like Bend, Oregon? Uh, it's a college town, you know, and it's it's definitely got its own vibe that's different from Bend, Oregon, I'd say. There's a lot more Subarus um, and, and Patagonia jackets here. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Hey, talking about 12 years ago, so I know you guys as innovators and leaders in hops, I remember like, you know, for me, 12 years ago, we're talking about IBUs and IPAs. And I know you've you've written about this on your website. So 12 years ago, every beer coming out, we were talking about the IBUs. And whether it was Imperial IPA or IPA, the, the more IBUs that they could pack into it, that's what scored the most on, on Beer Advocate or Rape Beer or something. But it looks like you guys have had been having a different conversation lately. Um, tell me about that because I, I realize that I haven't really had a brewer talk about IBUs the last couple of years on our show. 
Yeah, Robin and I have debated this a ton, <laughs> right? Especially yeah. because he's on the restaurant, you know, like side. And, and when you have a beer menu and you have something like ABV, IBU, um, that's that's a way that maybe some people might quote unquote shop for their beer. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Your your point of view was um, has kind of evolved over time, hasn't it, Robin? Yeah, honestly, I I kind of have gotten to this point where I feel like we should just omit IBUs as a number on the menu altogether. Yes. I think that, you know, IBUs can be so misleading because you can have a big double IPA, which has a very large malty backbone with a lot of sweetness uh, that is offsetting so much of that bitterness that you, it's all about perceived bitterness versus actual bitterness. You know, if you have a beer that's very dry, but is, you know, 35, 40 IBUs, well, you're still going to get a pretty good amount of bitterness out of that versus that double IPA that may have 60, 70, 80 IBU, but has so much malt to it, you're not getting that perceived bitterness. So it's, I just think it's a, it's a misleading number. I, now I'm remembering like the thing that really brought this to head was like squeezy writer because, um, it's a West Coast IPA, tons of hop flavor, hop aroma, um, hop flavor throughout the palate. But the BUs are like 35, 40. And I remember you saying something like, it seems a little wimpy to put like 40 IBUs <laughs> on a West Coast IPA. Like, yeah. you know, I don't want to mislead people because like it is dang hoppy. It is. There's no question that it's all about the hops of that beer. And that was the first time we started to make this like bring this conversation within our group on do IBUs even matter? I mean, if they aren't telling you what the beer is going to taste like, then what's the point? And then like, there's the whole analytical side too, right? Like does that number coming um, from the lab, which is testing isomerized, you know, uh, BUs, um, does that really translate to hot flavor? And the answer is no, right? It's a kind of like an old, uh, an older number, um, and even like the analytical side has evolved um, uh, to a different place on um, when it comes to reflecting IBUs in um, in hoppy beers. So, Robin, what's a better way to describe to your customers, you know, the mouthfeel or or the strength of a beer? Because even when I'm drinking like a Belgian triple, you know, there's Belgian triples that are 10% ABV, but they 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 they're drinking very smooth. Yeah, and that's true. I, I think that can be a challenge. But I, I, as a server, when I was a server prior to being a, a brewer, my favorite thing was to talk about the beers specifically, get into, okay, well, what are these flavors that you're interested in in this drink? You know, what do you like in a beer? It, whether it be, you know, you'd like to have a big hop flavor or you're looking for something that's, you know, more light on the uh, hops and more malt forward it's it's a great conversation. That's what I love about craft beer is talking about the beers. I don't know that there's a really great analytical way of saying, you know, okay, well, this this beer has, you know, lower bitterness but has big hop impact. I don't know that there's a better way to communicate that other than just talking to them about it, especially with a beer like Squeezy Rider, which has huge tropical aroma. It's got all kinds of passion fruit and guava and all these things going on with it. But someone might be like, well, how bitter is it? That's not really all that bitter. But I think the, the consumer can often confuse hoppy for bitter. Yeah, and I'm looking at Hazetron right now because that's what I'm drinking. Um, this is our Imperial Hazy IPA. And I, we only we opted out on IBUs here, so I only see 8% 
alcohol and alcohol is different, right? I want to yeah. know what I'm drinking. Like this is an 8% beer. Um, thank you, Jimmy, for allowing us to drink beer in the middle of our, our day here. Um, <laughs> and I, I chose to do an 8% because, you know, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the squeezy rider because when I had my sample pack earlier this summer, um, I drank through all your beers and I saved a photo. I, I snapped the squeezy rider. I'm going to post it later. Because that, that was one that really stood out. It's like, wow, that, that's the one I, I wanted the second and the third. I agree. That beer is highly drinkable. I mean, the hop character is so much fun. It's so interesting. It's so the aroma's big and in your face, but it's also not like too much to drink. It's great to just session with. Yeah. You know, I mean, since we're talking about ABVs, um, I don't want to talk about non beers right now. <laughs> I'm really into beer flavor and. I like where we're going, talking about hot flavor, mouthfeel, and IBUs. Um, what are some other styles of beer that you think are, or, or that you're making in the pub, or that you think that people are ready for, um, other than non-beers? So I read about uh, Jeff Alworth from Nirvana uh, wrote about your, in 2017, about your Saison, the Cultivator. And it made me think that, wow... Saison is such a, another style. For me, I'm not close to giving up on beer. I'm not close to wanting a hard seltzer. Um, how, how can we get more people to be open to um, other styles of beer like Saison? Well, Robin, I mean, you have the Katerina <laughs> in front of you. I feel like that's the uh, that's the beer that, that, that can kind of take it in that direction. I mean, Saison is, gosh, in my heart of hearts, like it – it's a beautiful style. It, I call it a brewer's beer because it's hard to translate what that flavor is. But um, yeah, I want Robin to talk about this Katarina Guava Sour <laughs> because I feel like this is how you bring people in. I totally agree with you. I feel like the fruited sours right now have really gained a lot of traction. Uh, I think this Katarina Sour is a great example. It's a raspberry guava sour beer that has, you know, like a light to medium body uh, the fruit character on it is very big. You get lots of guava with a little bit of raspberry there to brighten it up. It's a 5% beer, so it's not like you can't session with that. Um, and it's it's one of those beers that has, you know, the fruit and the sour tartness uh, brings people in and gets them interested. And then I think that builds on their idea of what beer can be. Um, you know, you, you get people that compare beer and wine, like wine is so versatile, but uh, beer is way more versatile in my opinion, because you have things like saisons, which have yeast character, you have sour beers, you have fruited beers, you've got darker beers with roast and coffee. There's just so much to explore in the world of beer. So yeah, I think uh, the fruited sours for me are that, that thing that's going to really bring people in and open their eyes to some new flavors in the beer world. Yeah. So you made me thirsty just by talking about it. So I had to open up my Katerina. So <laughs> like, I love this project so much because, um, I mean, first of all, it was our first collaboration coming out of COVID and, um, you know, like the brewing community is a very collaborative, naturally collaborative community. So when you have to put us away for a year and a half and we're not allowed to see and talk to each other and drink beers together. It's a, it's a very sad place to be. So we, um, worked with Chicha Brewing in Salem, Oregon. Um, so it was super awesome to make new friends. And, um, this beer goes from like, yeah, entry, like 
when you look at the package, guava is the first thing you say you see. So for someone that doesn't know a lot about beer, knowing that they're going to have a nice, refreshing guava, you know, sour beer with raspberries, that's like appealing, right? And then for people that want a little bit more and are interested in fermentation, you know, like we we brought in um, a Pog Kvike strain for this. So that was super interesting just to get a little bit more tropical notes. Um, so yeah, we can go from, Hey, this is just delicious tropical, um, flavor and talk about our, um, um, our collaboration with our new friends at Chicha all the way to like, you know, um, um, getting into yeast driven flavors with this beer. Yeah. When you say guava, so what does it taste like? Just Robin, you're in the pub. I'm like, I want fruit, but I don't want sweet. Guava for me is I'm definitely behind. one of those. I'm, I'm not caught up on fruited sours. I'm I'm still thinking black lager. So <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the guava has such a nice like uh, it's one of those fruits that has sweetness, but also has that balancing acidity. So it lends itself really well to a sour beer. And then you, you, guava can be a little bit muted. It's not like a real aggressive fruit flavor. So by highlighting that with some of the raspberry in there, we're just brightening that guava flavor, giving it that background raspberry note, and then playing with those yeast flavors as well. The Kvike strain developing that really big pog character is, it's just a harmony that works so well between the three of those. It's awesome. And how, how long did it take you to develop that when you guys we're working on it. Gosh, you know, that was actually a beer that came out of our pilot plant. We have a really awesome uh, Isa Huber uh, pilot plant that's a two-barrel system. Uh, it enables us to do a lot of experimentation. And we started playing with sours and the different fruit additions that we could do. And when the guava character came through with that raspberry, it was a real, like, oh, man, eye-opener. It was so refreshing. Everybody went, I want to be on the river drinking this beer and it just blew up. We were like, yep, let's do it. And then working with uh, the folks from, from Chicha, uh, they immediately jumped on board with that as well. And we started doing the yeast trials. I think uh, over and uh, overall, the process really didn't take all that much time to develop. We were ready to produce that beer within a few months. Yeah, it was like three, three batches. I remember what took it to the next level was, you know, um, folks at Chicha are really into not only making the beer stand on its own, but to have it uh, pair really great with the food. They have an amazing menu. And so trying to think of this as a food beer as well um, and, and being able to balance that, like, okay, it has to be refreshing, clean, beautiful on its own, but it has to be able to pair with um, some of the specials that we want to do for the, for the release party. So that was a really fun element from a recipe development standpoint to be like, all right, how do we elevate this a little, a little more? Well, that, that's a great way to sell it. My, my next question was going to be about, you know, how you guys work, think about the changing demographics of beer drinkers. But I would say thinking about pairing with food uh, would fall into that category. Do you think so, yeah. Veronica? Absolutely. And when you talk about like Robin brought up, you know, wine pairing can be really overwhelming and, you know, you, you can start as basic as red and, and, and white with beer. You have so many different styles, so many different flavor combinations that, you know, you could be eating chocolate cake and, and, and tasting a beer that 
literally tastes like chocolate cake. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's super, super cool. Or just have food inspire food, uh, uh, driven flavors. Like I've been tasting, like I tasted a curry inspired IPA, which you would never think that, but now we're getting that crossover of inspiration from fruit spices and, um, and fruits and all that and getting a culinary inspiration into, into beer flavors. So you could have a, a, a ramen beer without having to put noodles in it, right? <laughs> Robin, I already know what you think about ramen beer. That would be a, that would be a hard pass probably. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> I, I've been playing around with a lot of food-inspired uh, beers lately as well. I, I was able to uh, – actually won a medal at the Oregon Beer Awards for a peach cobbler uh, beer that I did. Uh, and it just had that big peach flavor with – uh, all those kind of cobbler spices in it and a little bit of vanilla. And then I followed that up with a collaboration with Tampa Bay Brewing Company where we did a, a Marionberry uh, pie a la mode beer. And again, it was, you know, bringing in those spices from the pie and the fruit puree and the vanilla, building the body up with wheat and oats. And I think there's a lot to be said for uh, culinary insp inspiration in beer flavor. Robin, when did you first ever brew with fruit? Like going way back. Oh man, I you know I when I was home brewing, I had a, a really garbagey Mister Beer kit that was you know, <laughs> garbagey. Like, oh man, it made some terrible beer. But I, I did play with using uh, the canned Oregon fruit purees. In uh, I think my first one I tried was like a blueberry something or other, and. Uh, it was pretty horrible, but that was, yeah, I mean, immediately I was interested in uh, experimenting with some of the, the berries and, and fruit ideas in the beer that I was making. You just pulled it off the shelf. You're like, okay, I'll take this uh, can of fruit. And I mean, you know, <laughs> why not? <laughs> well, I mean, we're so lucky here because the fruit that we're, um, we're so close to, um, a lot of berries, peaches, um, it's really accessible. The farms are, you know, right in the Valley, just uh, a couple hours away up in Washington. So just like hops, we're very, very close to where a lot of hops are grown in the pack Northwest. And we have those tight relationships with farmers there. It's really the same with fruit, like starting to create stronger relationships with, um, folks, because we, gosh, now we have, I can't even count how many fruit beers we have. When you think about our barrel program, our reserve club, our fruited sours, you know, there's tons now. Absolutely. I think that's a thing that, uh, consumers are really interested in right now. It's a big, big trend. Wow. Hey guys, we're off to a great start. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on beer sessions radio. All right. The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. We cover avenues for accessing grants, loans, and financial services through federal and local government programs, as well as via nonprofits. We examine the benefits worker cooperatives present to workers, communities, and our food system, and share resources to learn more about operating under this model. We're talking to business owners who started pop-ups and became permanent during the pandemic to see what we can learn. Don't miss these episodes. Subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to TD Bank for supporting this programming. 
Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Check us out and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. Support all over 30 shows talking about food, beer, and cocktails and drinks, heritageradionetwork.org. So, Veronica and Robin, we were just talking about uh, fruit and beers. My, my question for you, Veronica, is, you know, you, you're, you're kind of in, in – what is your official title again? Because you're, you're top dog there, aren't you? No, no, don't say that. No, um, it's a very nerdy, um, kind of boring title as director of product development. And I say that because I really feel like I'm blessed and I have one of the best beers, uh, or one of the best, one of the best jobs ever. Cause I get to work with people like Robin, um, Aww. super creative brewers and, um, really the simplest way to, to, tell you what I what I do here is that I help bring beer ideas to life so um the the things that we're working on are you know coming out a year from now two years from now and all the things we worked on you know last year and the year before are just hitting the market so um it's super fun to to work amongst a team of very creative brewers um and then you know work with the marketing team on ensuring that everything looks beautiful in the package. We have the right name. So it's a super collaborative role, um, which, um, yeah, suits my personality. I love working with people and bouncing ideas off, um, people. So yeah, that's what I do. So give me a story of, of, let's say sometime in the last couple of years, um, a new beer that you somehow rolled out. Like what, what were the steps involved? And you can name that beer if you want to. Yeah. Okay. The, I mean, the, the, the one that comes to mind is squeezy rider, which you tasted because I think when people have the can in hand, they might not realize like all the convoluted stories that happen in the background, you know, on how that beer came to life. And that came out of an idea brainstorm session, like around December. And, um, our pilot brewer at the time and I were talking about how Strata, the hop Strata has this really awesome fruit punch aroma. And I really love that about hops that there's so many different varieties that have so many different unique flavors, um, that you could have a hop that smells like vanilla and bourbon, or you could have a hop that smells like, um, you know, like coconut. Well, Strata, which we put into Squeezy Rider, to me, smells like fruit punch. So I was like, okay, what if we make a beer that looks red, that looks like fruit punch, and showcases Strata hops? And we're going to call it, like, Strata Punch. So we had this, like, idea. We were like, all right, let's get after it. So we start working on the pilot and bringing in a bunch of different juice varieties. I start researching, like what is fruit punch actually made out of? Because you just, you know, it as like red drink, you know? And then I started learning, like, it's actually a, really driven by pineapple juice and cherry juice is, is brought in just for color, but it's really a lot of apple and pineapple. So just kind of thinking of um, how to build, quote unquote, build fruit punch with actual natural juice. So we had a couple trials that were pretty, they were going in the right direction and we thought this was going to be the beer. And then um, Kyle said, I want to try this exact beer with no juice. Like, I just want to do it on the pilot, split it, do juice version, no juice version. That's the like beauty of the pilot. So there we realized that with Strata specifically, 
the juice was actually covering up a lot of the hop aroma and we got way more hop aroma, way more fruit punch aroma with just the strata hops. Like, do you remember those trials, Robin? Oh yeah. It was so, it was mind blowing. You tried the juice version. You're like, okay, that's what we've been doing. This is good. You tried the non-juiced version and you're like, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So we were like, okay, juice is out. And now we've been telling, you know, our sales team and folks internally, like about the strata punch. And now we have to like redirect everybody (laughs) on building like, no, trust us. Like this is a better beer. Um, and so then we lost our name. We couldn't call it Strata Punch anymore. We, we, um, had to start all over. So I think Robin started a name brainstorm (laughs) session (laughs) and the names were like, oh my God, I don't even remember. They were pretty silly. There's lots of, uh, directions that we could have taken it, but Squeezy Rider ended up, uh, being the name. And then like, we had no idea that the package was going to look the way it did. So then it, it was really fun to work with. Um, why our graphic designer to bring like the West coast IPA to life and, um, to make it, you know, like the future of the fresh family, we're building these beautiful, bold IPAs and we want the packaging to match too with bold color. So it's bringing a lot of fun. Um, I think to us all at the brewery and hopefully that is, um, that fun is being passed along to, to our fans. So yeah, that's kind of a a story of, of how a beer comes to be. That's a great story. Let's jump to hazy. So um are you guys making hazies i know you mentioned the the hazy tron um but are you also making a hazy pale ale or or thinking of it well we do make fresh haze which is just a real classic style new england ipa with the big you know orange uh character the soft mouth feel that's that's been a really big hit for us which has been awesome i I think fresh haze is delicious and then um, we have Neon Daydream. Can't forget that. Yeah, Neon Daydream was another. Pill. Yep, that's super delicious with uh, lots of that citrus character, but lower ABV, a little bit drier, uh, a really nice kind of summertime seasonal. That again, you're just you want to drink that on the river. You're like, yeah, this is this is it. So, are you guys saying that you feel like your fresh series is? like a hazy without being hazy that you don't need to really focus on the hazy no i was just saying that our fresh family um is our ipa portfolio so we're going to be doing a bunch of new stuff within the fresh family so it's going to be like we have the west coast ipas which are bright we have hazetron just coming out our imperial hazy ipa we're working on you know the fresh family beers for the future right now so um, we've got some new beers going into our variety packs, the fresh packs. So that's a place where we're going to be putting a ton of new beer ideas from hazies to fruited IPAs to, um, you know, Imperials to doubles. Like that's the place where we're going to, that's our playground. So, um, yeah, we're excited about having that. No, that's cool. And in, in the pub, Robin, um, what are people asking for at, at the small scale? Like it's, it's August craft loggers have been really big. I think in the last two years, we've seen people get really interested in craft pilsners. Um, I personally have been doing, uh, like a Hellas, um, I'm doing more, more craft loggers and and in the summertime, that's what people are really demanding. The fruited sours are probably like second on that list. We're seeing those just blow out the door. Um, and then, yeah, I'm seeing that uh, big interest in those pastry beers, the 
the Marionberry uh, Pie La Mode and the Peach Cobbler beer were extremely popular. People are interested in those big flavors that, you know, really they say they say this flavor and it needs to be that big flavor. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the big the big trends I've been seeing. IPAs are always at the top of the list. Um, but if you're looking for newer things, it's, it's going to be those three. Wow. And then, Veronica, how do you guys do across the country? So you're in Bend. Um, what, are there cert, Do you have to track, like, certain beers that are doing better in certain markets? Does that come into play when you're releasing a beer? I mean, it does come into play. There are certain pockets. Um, you know, our, uh, we have um, a small tasting room in Roanoke, Virginia, and over there, the fruited sours are very, very popular. Uh, craft lagers are popular there as well. Um, but when it comes to rolling out a new beer, we we still start with our home market. So we're making sure that it's it's you know it's hitting on everything um, in Oregon, Washington, California, and then we start expanding from there. Um, so that's kind of how we roll out new beers. Um, once in a while, we'll have something that we think um, can, can go across full footprint. Our non-alcoholic beer is an example. So we're working on a non-alcoholic Black Butte Porter. Um, and we feel like because of that, as a point of distinction to uh, what's out there in NA, um, that we can go um, across the nation with that. Um, with our other, with some of our other beers, like Robin brought up Lagers, we're putting out a beer called King Crispy, um, a German style Pilsner. And we're totally going to grow that in our home market and um, put the energy there um, in, instead of making that try to work with the entire in, in, across the entire U.S. Wow, that's great. And then for I, I read some of your beers, like um, either low-cal or no-cal. Is there a secret ingredient to, to brewing a low-cal or no-cal beer? And is that something that you guys want to talk about? We can talk about it. I mean, yeah, there's there's, <laughs> there's not many secrets in brewing. I mean, we're pretty open. When, I mean, if you talk to like a, you know, Pepsi or something, there's probably going to be pretty tight lipped about their processes, but I don't know. Craft beer is different. Yeah. I would say, um, gosh, this is like bringing us back in time. Remember the brew IPA, Robin? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. So clearly. Yeah. So brew IPA brewing, um, brought us, um, into the world of enzymes that can break down, um, some of those larger, uh, uh, sugar complexes into more fermentable, uh, uh, compounds. And so what that allows you to do is to reduce calories. So just by experimenting with a style of beer like brew IPA, which the outcome was not reducing calories, it was kind of an, a, an accidental find. Um, we, for brew IPAs, we're just looking at drying out beer and making a very dry, crisp um, IPA. Um, once we found that that ingredient was able to do that, then we could insert that into recipes where we did want the calories to be a lot lower. So our Wowza, which is 4% hazy, um, is 100 calories. And so we utilize that, um, those techniques that we learned from Brew IPA. Um, and then we also brought in through some research found out that chicory root um, uh, is ha has like a sweetness that does not have a lot of calories. So that was a, a ingredient that we brought in, um, in order to boost a little bit of the body, um, for, for Wowza because, we, it, because it's a hazy, we wanted a little bit more of that mouthfeel in there. So yeah, those are two unique techniques that we 
used in developing Wowza. You know, so just because I don't keep track of calories ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good for you. beer with 100 <laughs> calories, what would it be normally? Oh, I mean, it's like, yeah, 145, you know, and then as you get higher in alcohol and higher in um, the, the specialty malts, it goes from there. Um, but yeah, something like our mirror pond might have something like 160 calories. Yeah. Well, I can still have a few of those and I'm, and I'm doing better than eating a, a hamburger and fries, right? Jimmy, you're fine. You're fine. Just <laughs> keep okay. doing you. <laughs> Stay active and, and, um, you know, walk in between sessions, right? Yes. Walking exactly. is, is really good for you. You guys are so cool. I got some questions from, uh, we have a great listener, Ivan Stoller, and he mentioned a Jubal Ale. Um, oh, the classic. What is it? And is it coming out this year? It comes out every year. This is uh, the first beer that we ever packaged, I believe. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. At the pub. <laughs> at the pub, yeah. Back in the, uh, what I think it was in the early 90s was our first uh, yeah. bottled beer. Uh, Jubilee is a winter warmer with some dark malts in it. Uh, it has a higher ABV. It's what, six? I'm forgetting the ABV now. Six eight, yeah. So it's got a nice warming character to it. Uh, the darker malts provide some really nice kind of dried fruit character. Uh, it's a delicious beer to drink in you know those later months when it's getting cold outside and you want to sip on a nice warming beer, or maybe you take a growler right out to the uh, the hut and uh, do a snowshoe and then relax in the the warming hut and drink yourself a, a nice winter warmer. Jubilee is great. And in fact, this Wait, year... You, you can go snowshoeing in Bend, Oregon? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We're right next to the mountain. Mount Bachelor is a quick 30, 45-minute drive. And all along there, we have snow parks. So you can do cross-country skiing. Uh, you can do snowshoeing. You can do anything. It's, it's so much fun. And then they have warming huts along the trails so that when you get out there, you do a couple miles, you stop in at a warming hut, there's a fire going, maybe there's three or four other people hanging out in there, maybe they're drinking some whiskey, maybe they're having a beer, you know, you relax, have a beer, get back on the trail and head back. <laughs> now you're selling me on Bend, Oregon. So You've got to come out here. You've got to come out here. That's fun. Wow. It's good stuff, yeah. And uh, Jubilee is great. We've done a couple of uh, fun variants on it as well. We've done uh, Cherry's Jubilee this year. So we're doing kind of a cherry version that will be a little bit more uh, ABV. Um, and in the past, we've done Super Jubilee as well, which is more of like a barley wine style with a big like 12%, 13% ABV on it. Great. Hey, we're going to just change. I'm going to change direction. Um, one thing I'm, I'm, we, we talked a little about hops and yeast. I want to talk about water. Um, as brewers, tell me about water. What, how, how much of a part of the brewing pro not, we know that water is the main ingredient in beer, but as part of the brewing process, like water profile, mouthfeel, balance, adjusting the water, um, how big a role it is working with the water when you're doing your recipe development or when you're, you know, day to day in the brewery? Yeah, it's 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 always one of those um, like we might get to malt and hops and yeast, those decisions uh, pretty quickly. And then water is a place where we could kind of fine tune things um, in Bend, Oregon. Our water is just kind of like a clean slate. It's very soft. Um, and so with a lot of our traditional beers that we started out, 
um, the water chemistry stuff and recipe development was more to get it like a Burton on Trent. So we added a lot of gypsum. Now, gosh, we we are making a ton of different styles. And when you talk about hazy beers and the mouthfeel that you want um, in hazy beers, we started to play a little bit more with the combination of calcium sulfate and calcium chloride. And I got to remind me, Robin, were you a part of those trials where we mixed like a ton of different salts just in water to yes. get like the scent? Yeah, like that was super It was fun. super fascinating. Yeah, to just try, okay, what's this going to taste like with a big calcium chloride contribution? What's this going to taste like with a big uh, sulfate contribution? And really get a sense of how that sulfate like sharpens that 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 flavor just a little bit. And that chloride will just like soften it up just a bit more. So it's like, it's really fun to kind of test that on your own and see what those differences are. And it's really easy to do too. So, so you'd, you'd basically have the same hops and malt and just modify the water. We took water and did water trials just to see like, okay, at uh, absolutely neutral flavor, let's add calcium chloride and let's add, you know, gypsum to this one and, and see what the difference is. And it was, yeah, really eye-opening to see what the difference is because a lot of times you'll make those adjustments as a brewer because you know it needs to be made, uh, but you don't necessarily have that experience of just trying them and seeing like, okay, what's that actually going to do? And it was, yeah, very eye-opening. I think I highly encourage any brewer to do that if they haven't, just to try it and see like, okay, what is that going to do to the water itself and how's that going to contribute to the flavors of the hops or the malt? Yeah. Well, you know, in New York City, it, it, it gets said frequently that the water is why the pizza tastes good, the bagels taste good. <laughs> yes. Taste good. But I still don't quite understand the chemistry behind it. Um, can I still make good pizza and bagels in Bend, Oregon? Compared to, to New York? Water. Oh we have to adjust the water. <laughs> I think, you, I don't know. I mean, to, compared to New York, that's that's a pretty tall order. And, you know, I have my opinions about bagels. They're strong. And I feel like there's only one or two places. I'm not going to name names, um, <laughs> but that have the true bagel uh, flavor. So I don't know. I, I would say if you're coming here, I'd, I'd want you to do your water trials. Like it's a good way to spend an afternoon. Yeah, that'd be fun. That I would definitely be interested. I've never done that. Hey, um, we know I know it's summer, but let's talk about fall. We'll wrap up with some of your fall beers. Um, what's coming out new? Do you come out with a fresh hop IPA or any like uh, dedicated hop farm IPAs? Oh, Robin, fresh hops. <laughs> uh, on the pub scale, I'm doing five or six fresh hop beers, which is really fun. I love being so close to the hop farmers and establishing those relationships and talking with them every year about, okay, what do you, what do you got coming up that's new? What do you got that you're expanding your fields? Uh, what are the things that you're excited about so far this year? Um, so yeah, I, I'll be visiting uh, probably four different farms to get different hops. I'll, I'll, I'll double up on one of them. Uh, my first one of the year, usually Centennials are one of the early varieties to get picked. So, in fact, I'm brewing tomorrow my uh, base beer for that. It's going to be just a, a fresh hop Centennial West Coast IPA. I'm looking for about 7.4%, around 55 IBU. Not that the IBU really matters. We've uh, established that. We've established that. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, uh, you know, it's always fun to see how the varietals affect the, the beer if you're using it on the hot side or on the cold side. So uh, this first one, I'm going to be adding the fresh hops into the already fermented beer once it's uh, ready to be cooled. And that tends to add a lot more um, melon, uh, cantaloupe, a uh, slight grassy character to it, really fresh and kind of herbal. My second fresh hop beer is going to be using some of the strata hops. Uh, that one is going to be a little bit more of a juicy kind of IPA, 6.4, looking for 40, 45 IBU, uh, using a little bit more caramel malt in there, uh, playing up that big fruit juice kind of character from the strata. I'm going to be introducing those on the hot side in the whirlpool after I've cooled the wort to about 170 degrees. That tends to play up more of the varietal characteristic versus bringing out that like green herbal or fresh character that you get on the cold side. Um, and then uh, from a plant perspective here, we're going to be doing chasing freshies, which we do every year. Um, Veronica, I think you can speak a little bit more to that than I can. Yeah, I mean, overall, fresh hop season is super busy and exciting for us, and we're really pumped about chasing freshies because this year we collaborated with Bitburger. Oh, my gosh, huge, amazing German family-owned brewery. Um, we brought in some of their um, hop varieties and then paired them with some American-grown fresh hops. So, you know, the pandemic is still trying to throw wrenches in us getting together for this collaboration, but we're moving forward, and, and we've had – Still a lot of, you know, FaceTime on video calls with with the team over there, which has been really exciting. Um, we're, we're using Triumph Pops for the first time here. And so, yeah, I mean, like overall fresh hot brewing is so fun because of our proximity to the hot fields that um, it's just a really active day, right? Someone's mashing in, someone's running to the hot field to collect the hops and, and calling back to the brewery to see if the kettle's ready and... So we do that on, on the pub scale, and we do that um, once a year in a big way with Chasing Freshies. So that's all ahead of us. Oh, that's great. Is that beer available um, nationwide? Yeah, Chasing Freshies is going to be your best bet. I mean, you might need to go on a road trip, you know, along the East Coast. <laughs> but you can that's the one you can find, Jimmy, Chasing Freshies. All right. I'm going to try to get that one. So Good. listen, you guys have been great. And just so you know, for your team – Talk a little bit about some of your flagship beers, a lot about the, the, the Fresh family, and some other fun stuff. So thank you guys so much for joining me, Veronica and Robin. Big thanks to Armin Spengen, our engineer. And I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio. Um, we'll catch you next time on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks so much, guys. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio is supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.